good morning today to Pierre de Brew. Pierre de Brew is the head of quantitative uh, research and multi asset analysis at uh, Wisdom3. Thank you very much for coming onto the podcast today. It's uh, very good to have you here. Good morning, Vanya. I wanted to kick off our conversation today by comparing and contrasting an ETF portfolio versus investing directly into stocks. What would you, how would you describe how do the two perform? And at which, in which case would an ETF perform better than just outright stock invest? Yeah, so I think the, the big difference is going to be first the ease of use, right? If you're going to invest in single stock, uh, there is uh, from the investment from the investor point of view a lot of work in terms of like the analysis of the different stock to decide what to buy, and then potentially quite a lot of operational issues to buy the different stocks, rebalance the different stock between each other and so on, which uh, the ETF can uh, deliver to the investor in one simple to invest in uh, wrapper. But from the strategy point of view, from the investment itself point of view, I think uh, the ETF can bring a lot of value to investors because there is going to be usually uh, at least is the case at Wisdom Tree, a large research team uh, behind the ETF, a large research team uh, that is going to develop um, the strategy, think about uh, which stock to select, uh, which stock to, to screen out, which is going to think about uh, how to rebalance, how to weight the different stocks. And that obviously over the long term can make a big difference in terms of the investment uh, or the investment result for the, for the investor. Thank you. So we can maybe unpick some of those uh, themes uh, and talk about some of the research uh, that goes in and how how you can best use that. So, for instance, this year, uh, tech stocks performed uh, outperformed the rest of the market. And um, now a lot of um, investors are heavy uh, tech stocks. Do you think is this a strategy that will last going forward? Will are people maybe a little bit overweight tech stocks? Yeah, so I mean that's you're absolutely right. This this year has been quite uh, exceptional in in what we consider to be the, the narrowness of the of the of the market in the same in the sense that there has been a bull market, especially in the first half of the year, but it was driven by a very very small number of stocks um, that, that force an exceptional rebalancing of the Nasdaq, for example, this summer, right? Those seven or eight big stocks, they really performed so, so much that the Nasdaq ended up being so uh, concentrated in those seven stocks that they had to force a rebalancing uh, intra-year, which is not something they usually do. And that's kind of uh, what happens to uh, a lot of the investors that are currently investing in market cap weighted indices. So in classic indices, being through ETF or other uh, wrappers is that there is a lot of concentration in those uh, top seven, eight stocks, and they happen to all be uh, tech stocks, right? And and that's something to think about because, as you said, it creates a lot of concentration. And as we know, uh, one of the big teaching, uh, if we go back to Markowitz, for example, is that diversification is key, right? And if we look at market cap indices right now, we can't really say that uh, they are uh, extremely diversified. They are, in fact, quite concentrated, especially in the US uh, with those, those seven or eight uh, mega caps. And so, it, I mean, from the way we look at it at Wisdom Tree, in fact, it's quite interesting because we, Wisdom Tree uh, is 
a firm that has been uh, funded recently in some way, like in the last 20 years. And, and we focus only on ETF. We are uh, the larger independent ETF provider in the world. But from an investment point of view, we are one of the pioneers in what we call factor investing, uh, which now people can call smart beta. But the idea is to say you can invest using a systematic investment process, using a process which is following rules, which is therefore very cons consistent in time, right? But it doesn't have to be market cap weighted. It can be uh, different. Uh, it can be focused on different type of companies. It could you could uh, we started by doing uh, dividend weighted indices, for example. So it would focus more on the highest dividend payers. Um, but now we have obviously uh, more than just dividend uh, weighted indices, and we also have quality focused indices um, and thematic focused indices, but all of those indices, what I'm trying to say is that they are not market cap weighted and therefore through the investment process, you can try to force uh, more diversification into the portfolio. And, and at this point in time, I think that's really important because of how the market cap weighted indices are. So this is an interesting one. So dividend stocks, they, um, they're obviously uh, interesting under the current circumstances. And if you were to do the uh, research yourself as a retail investor, you could pinpoint the best dividend stocks, but it would take you quite a lot of time and work to research. Um, so from your point of view, when you are designing uh, a dividend stock-based uh, index, what's your strategy? How do you go about that? Yeah, so, so I think you could argue that there are two ways to go about an income or dividend strategy, uh, however you want to call it. There is uh, a first way, which is very much focused on income, which is very much about maximizing the dividend yield you can get um, from the strategy. And that's going to be about uh, looking at those stocks that have very high dividend yield, that have been paying extremely high dividend for the, for the uh, last few years, maybe for, for decades. And, and to focus on that. And what that's going to translate into is a very high dividend yield for, for the portfolio you're constructing, right? And, and that's obviously going to give you uh, a portfolio which is very, very income driven. Um, now, in, at Wisdom Tree, we do have some indices that are uh, built like this, but we also uh, have built a income strategies that are a bit more quality. Uh, focused and the idea is to say a lot of the income strategy the way I describe them they are a little bit more backward looking they're about which company has been paying a lot of dividend in the past and they tend to be quite concentrated in energy in banks in utilities right and we thought uh, and that was almost 10 years ago right when we, we started to, to think about this quality dividend way uh, to build income portfolio is we thought why what about trying to think forward what about trying to think not about what company has been paying dividend a lot in the past, but thinking about what company are going to be able to pay dividend in the future, right? And if you think it like that, uh, what you end up with is two things. You think, okay, for a company to feel comfortable that a company will pay dividend in the future, you probably need to look at companies that have been paying dividend, right? Because um, if you look at Amazon, for example, great company, but they don't pay dividend 
are they going to start to pay dividend in the future is a very big unknown. And so you probably don't want to take that risk uh, from an income point of view, right? But at the same time, once you have companies that pay dividend and you want to ask yourself which company will be able to pay more and more dividend in the future, we, we think that the quality of the company, the profitability of the company, how much cash the company is able to create every year through sales or through revenue, right? is more important than how much dividends they've been paying in the past, right? And so that's where this combination between quality and dividend can be quite interesting because you look at those dividend payers, but you look at those very, very profitable dividend payers with the outlook that they will be probably able to pay a lot of dividend going forward. That's brilliant. I mean, that's uh, super precious to to be able to have uh, uh, such a forward-looking strategy. That kind of gives you the edge um, ahead, which um, when you look at to today's, this morning's news, um, there was, um, you will need that kind of strategy going forward. So we saw this morning that the uh, UK GDP is uh, flatlined, it's zero, and that's following uh, the second quarter in which it was 0.2%. And then if we look at forecasts for the Bank of England, um, there's a good chance now that the rates will stay at the at this current level for at least another six to maybe eight months. And we're talking about maybe the first rate cut in July uh, next year, if not later. So it's exceptionally important uh, to devise a strategy uh, that will allow for that and will be looking forward for at least the next six months. Uh, so if you... If you um, were to think about the strategy of um, uh, kind of your your core investment and then maybe investment that will uh, bring in some resilience uh, in terms of unexpected circumstances in the market, uh, like geopolitical risk. Uh, what? How would you go about looking at that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And you mentioned the UK, but I think what you said about the rate being higher for longer and the growth being quite low is true across developed markets, right? The, the, the IMF growth expectation for 2023 and 2024 are pretty low, uh, not just in the UK, but across the board. Uh, rates are going to stay higher for longer for sure, uh, not just in the UK, but in Europe and in the US, even if the rate hikes are probably done or almost done, but like the ECB start, started to signaling that the, the rate hikes were probably done in Europe, for example, the Fed has not hiked for a while. So in this new environment of high rate, um, potential low growth, uh, I think what you're going to see is a lot of uncertainty, a lot of um, potential volatility in the market, and like you said, potential um, uh, uh, surprises, right? Doesn't mean that the market will not uh, go up, right? We've seen H1 2023, people were expecting the market to be quite tame because of those rates being, rate, uh, being quite high. And yet we've seen this bull market, right? So in some way, uh, we think that equity investors, they should be uh, prepared for everything in some way. They should have uh, a strategy that is able to capture some of the upside, but also uh, be able to defend in, in case of... Uh, bad surprises and so you are talking about resilience and i think that's that's really the key word here is that having a resilient uh, equity portfolio 
And when it comes to resilience, uh, at least at Wisdom Tree, we, we strongly uh, believe in the quality factor, so in high quality companies. Um, what, what you can observe historically from the behavior of high quality companies is that um, they've been recognized as the source of art performance by both academics and practitioners, right? If you look at academic, uh, quality is a factor in the five, fact in the five factor Fama French model. It has been uh, talked about in academic circle for, for decades as a source of art performance. So that's clearly uh, one side. And if you look at practitioners, most uh, active managers, if not all the active managers that I've ever met, being value managers, being growth managers, there is always a quality filter in their investment process. They're always going to end up being, okay, I want to find cheap stock, but among those cheap stock, I will pick the best quality one, right? So you, so you kind of have this agreement around high quality companies being the source of that performance, but also you have uh, interesting behavioral uh, thing that happened in the market around high quality companies is that when uncertainty happens or rise in the market, right? You see investors or equity investors come out of the riskiest company, right? And go into the companies they're comfortable with. So they go into the company with strong balance sheet, which generate a lot of cash, that have uh, well-recognized name and businesses, right? And so you kind of have this natural tailwind into quality companies, which helps them to be quite defensive when there is something unexpected uh, that happens. So you, you have this, this two side of things, which is nice upside capture and also this defensiveness, which, which makes, uh, in our view, high quality companies a very nice core holding, uh, that you can stay invested in for the long term and basically put time in the market, right? Um, and, and it's also quite interesting in period of high uncertainty. Is, would you equate, um, when you talk about high quality companies, uh, and the valuation, would you equate high quality companies with really larger size, sized companies rather than medium sized businesses or, or smaller? Because when you talk about the cheaper valuation, we normally find that more with smaller sized companies. Uh, no, I, I think you can find high quality companies across the board, like from small caps to, high, to large cap or even mega caps, right? Uh, the way we think about quality is in some way threefold, but it's it's about uh, high return on equity, high return on asset, and high uh, earning growth, and and that's something you can find uh, across the board. Um, so you can find some very large company. Uh, I mean, Apple obviously being one, which work, which is going to fit this um, type of, of of requirement. But you will find some across across the board. Um, in fact, we we do have some strategy or indices that are focused on large cap using this type of filters, but we also have some small cap uh, strategies that are using those type of filters as well. I wanted to just thank you very much. That was a very good and clarified some things for me. I wanted to just circle back to uh, a little bit to the question of ETFs versus stocks. And one thing that we did not mention is uh, the leverage. So, the one thing that you can use with, with ETFs is uh, leverage, which uh, uh, kind of gives um, ETFs that advantage of being able to uh, really seriously outperform uh, stock in some situations. 
So could you could you talk us through this a little bit and what, what's your view on how uh, on the advantages for for a retail investor? Yeah, so I mean, for sure, it, it's possible to do uh, leverage inside uh, an exchange traded fund or an exchange traded uh, product in in principle. Um, now, I think leverage product they have a specific use in some way, right? We here we've been talking a lot about. Uh, strategic long-term investment um, and this and this type of investment and in this case the use of leverage has to be uh, uh, parsimonious I, I want to say right um, obviously with leverage come bigger risk and so you want to be to be uh, to be aware of that from a more tactical point of view though we we've seen a lot of in, we see a lot of investors uh, use leverage or short exchange traded product to express a tactical view in the market being uh, on uh, being in, on equities, on commodities, uh, on fixed income. That, so that can be quite uh, interesting as well, uh, really from, from, a, from a tactical point of view. Yeah. Maybe it's worth re reiterating that in, in the current, uh, current market environment, one of the key for equity investors is, is going to be this consistency and this resilience and, and really uh, think about the diversification, right? And how maybe some of those market cap indices, they are too concentrated in tech. And and we know tech businesses usually rely on uh, on loan, right? On, on, on getting cheap, cheap getting access to cheap money to basically be able to, to reinvest in the future. And that's obviously going to be more difficult in, in a world with low growth and high interest rate. And so that's probably a good time to think about alternative to those, those market cap uh, weighted indices. And, and at Wisdom Tree, we, we do think that a combination between uh, high quality companies mixed with uh, dividend payers is a nice way to, to address those challenges uh, by focusing on those high quality companies, high profitable companies that can really um, uh, grow their dividend uh, in the future. So basically, if we wanted to sum up uh, the strategy that would work possibly over, particularly over the next six to eight months, it would be uh, high quality stocks and then diversified for uh, good uh, dividend uh, yielders, uh, and that would that should carry carry you through the period that we're looking at, which could be very flat growth and possibly not very certain. Yeah, the, the, I think that could be a, a nice, nice way to to address the the challenge of um, the next twelve to eighteen months, let's say. And 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 just just to clarify, why dividend quality maybe is also because if you think about quality or high quality companies, right? And it's not a big surprise that you would expect them to be a bit expensive, right? Because they have a lot of things to be uh, interested by. And therefore, a lot of investors would want to buy them, and that would potentially push uh, the price up. But now, if you think about those high-quality companies, and you say among those high-quality companies, you're going to have some that are paying dividends, some that are not paying dividends. What, what you'll see is that the ones that don't pay dividends, right, and Amazon being the poster child of that, they are going to tend to be more on the tech, more on the growthy side. And they are going to tend to be more expensive. When the dividend payer one, they are going to be more spread across all of the sectors, and they are 
from a valuation point of view, I'm not going to say they're cheap because they're, they're not going to be cheap, but they're going to be uh, more reasonably valued. And so really mixing these dividend payers with quality allows you to, to really keep the, the valuation in check and also keeps you away from an over-concentration in, in tech or grossy stock, which I think is going to be quite interesting uh, looking forward. Brilliant. I, for one, feel encouraged about uh, so the strategy, uh, and I think this is definitely a good one to, to carry us forward. So, Pierre, thank you ever so much uh, for, for coming on the podcast today, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com, for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.